This is Connor. This is Paul. This is Jared. And welcome to Silver's First Readers. Your genre-starring, decade-trekking film podcast. These are the continuing podcasts of the Silver Screamers podcast. Her ongoing mission to explore strange new films, to seek out new genres, and to boldly podcast where no podcast has podcasted before. You got to put in lots of podcast words there. Yes, I did. But you only get to use that once. Now we have a whole series of I know, that's right. Yeah, I'm going to have to... You're going to have to improvise next time. Yeah. So we've taken a bit of a break, but uh, we're back with Star Trek season. My God, the last episode we did was the Screamy Awards, and it took forever to edit. It was so long. And fair play to Paul did it. I did our little uh, interviews with Francis McDormand and Anthony Hopkins, but Paul did most of the work. So fair play to you. Yeah, thanks. So I, I just felt I needed a bit of a break from yeah. uh, podcasting. But we're back with a vengeance with Star Trek. And for our first episode, we have a special guest. So uh, yeah, Jerry G, Jerry G in the house. <laughs> but you can call me Jer. Okay, Jer. So you're very welcome, Jer. Welcome uh, along, Jer. Thanks very much for having me, guys. You're very right. welcome. So we've had we've asked Jer to come on because Paul's knowledge of Star Trek is, I would say, limited. Paul, is that is that fair to say? I would say my knowledge of Star Trek is similar to your average Joe's. Like, I definitely, I mean, it's such a big cultural impact. There is a certain amount of cultural osmosis that I've absorbed. You know, I know Jean-Luc Picard, and I know that Vulcans have pointy ears. <laughs> okay. And yeah, limited, I know that it, limited, as I said. Yeah, limited. yeah, yeah. But yeah, so I think so, it was, we needed some heavier guns. So we need, <laughs> I, I needed a bit of assistance on our first Star Trek episode. So we called in Jerry. He's also a massive fan. And this is your one of your fav- most your favorite movies of all time, Jerry. Is that fair to say? It is, yeah. Has been for a long time. We, to, debate, we debated this when we were kids. <laughs> I know. Myself and Jerry were in school together for... We've known each other for what nearly thirty-five years or something, so we were in school all the way up uh, together, and this was often a hot topic because this wouldn't have been my favorite of the original series Star Treks, to be honest. Mine would probably be the Undiscovered Country Star Trek Six, but this was definitely always your favorite. You always uh, argued that this was the best Star Trek movie of all time, including the the Picard ones. Absolutely, and I stand by that statement. <laughs> Although, in- interesting bit of trivia is that Star Trek II: The Wrath of Khan was originally named "The Undiscovered Country" by Nicholas Meyer. Oh, who's oh. Nicholas Meyer? The director. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> we're, ju- we're jumping ahead. I should probably have. I should probably have known that. To be honest. <laughs> Uh, uh, Paul did not me. do a lot of research for this. <laughs> no, I was like, this season, I'm taking a back seat. I, my position for this season is going to be, what's this and what's that and why do we care about this? This is going to be my my stand. This is going to be my stance for the episode because I want you guys to sell this to me. To you? Well, well, not to me, but Jerry's, feel... Jerry's going to say it doesn't need to be sold because you've watched the movie and clearly it's the best movie of all time, in his opinion. <laughs> So, Jerry, is there anything behind that then? They called it the, undisco- the Star Trek II, the Undiscovered Country, and then decided to switch it to Wrath of Khan and make Star Trek VI the Undiscovered Country. Is there any particular reason? or? Well, they obviously wanted to keep it on point and on topic with, with Khan as the, the centerpiece of the, the whole movie. Yeah. But it was only kind of a decision being pushed by the director, Nicholas Meyer. Okay. Subsequently, they brought him back for the number six movie, and he finally got his way, and they got that name to stick. <laughs> 
He really liked that name for some reason. <laughs> was the undiscovered yeah, yeah. country meant to be that planet that they were bringing back to life with Genesis? Was that, undis- was that the undiscovered country of what would have been this film? Well, I don't want to break the ruin the kind of insights here, but the undiscovered country was um, the, the unfamiliar ground of loss and not winning and uh, all these things that are kind of were being faced by Kirk in this movie. Oh, so it was it's all metaphorical. metaphorical yes, right. <laughs> so they like they they rejigged that metaphor in Star Trek Six then to say the undiscovered country was the future. Uh, all right, so it's not just a place. They were like, nope, we we started high concept and we're yeah. going to finish high concept. It's going to be a metaphor. God damn it, Nicholas Meyer was like, I am getting that metaphor in there one way or the other. <laughs> well, it, it it all kind of works the same way, and the fact that it's it's that that new territory and. Um, aging, mortality, and uh, yeah, new frontiers. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because he's in this movie, he's actually talking about getting old and that. And he's like, you've another five movies to go. Hold on to your horses. Like, <laughs> hey, um, hey, I found some trivia. I found some trivia. Oh, go on. That um, William Shatner wanted to be like made up to look like young Kirk. Uh, and it was like, yeah, effects can make me look young, right? And someone was like, no, just go with the... Go no, you're old getting old. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, get get that, over it. Is that real trivia or is that like... Uh, something that some person put on Wikipedia. Is that, that, is that when they invented the Michael Myers mask? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not sure if you want to go into the background of the kind of U-turn this movie took um, before we go over the synopsis, but there was a movie before this that came out uh, and it didn't do very well. Uh, like Star Trek won the motion picture. Yeah. And a number of decisions were made to not make another movie like that in any shape or form. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good idea. And you even um, said that, Con. You were like, we're not doing Star Trek. Before. Yeah. The, at the end of the last podcast, Paul was like, do we not need to watch Star Trek 1 before Star Trek 2? And I was like, no, we're not doing Star Trek 1. It's long and boring and nothing happens. We're moving. It was very, good stuff. It, it was really contentious at the time because that was like Gene Roddenberry's baby. Um, and it didn't do successfully well. It wasn't critically did it doing well. And they actually decided to boot him off the second one. So he was removed. Um, they brought in, I think it was Harvey Bennett um, as the producer and writer. And they uh, brought in new new composers. They brought in new everything. And they were trying to re- like uh, rejuvenate the brand entirely with this kind of move. So it was, it was quite bold and quite daring. Yeah. But... The, the actual first movie had taken on a lot of strange decisions anyway. Like they'd gone for like futuristic new spacesuits and tried to be real. Um, yeah, they got they got rid of the color scheme of the of the outfits and all this kind of stuff. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Just, there's something about that movie that was just kind of bland and it didn't really go anywhere. And I think at the like after that, they kind of said, okay. And even the characters, they didn't really seem like themselves. And then afterwards, they were probably like, we need ships. We need guns. We need phasers. We need torpedoes. We need action. We're not doing this anymore. That sounds uh, awesome. That sounds uh, awesome. <laughs> uh, that's what you got in Star Trek Two. That's what you got in Star Trek Two. I was going to say it, the, in the first movie that we're not going to cover, so we can <laughs> set the stage here. Like the bad guy or the let's say the villain was a robot. It was actually it was like Voyage, one of the Voyager space probes that had been sent out from Earth hundreds of years before or something, and it had gone off and found this other because i actually did watch it it was on tv the other day uh it had found it had been found by this race of highly advanced beings and its mission was to absorb all the knowledge of the universe so it reprogrammed it sent it off and then it was coming back to earth to send its information back to earth and it couldn't make contact so then it decided to destroy earth for some reason or something like that yeah so it ended up just feeling like a failed science experiment more than a, a movie with characters 
and that was kind of the, one of the kind of things they're trying to correct in the Rata Khan. Yeah. There was no proper character development. The villain had no feelings or no motive, real motivations or no depth to it because it was a because it was a robot. It was a satellite. So, yeah, they they were really trying to leverage all the historical parts of that kind of franchise yeah. and um, look for. They actually in the inception of this kind of script, they actually were looking through old villains in the old series to see who oh, okay. people kind of uh, related to the most and who people would seem as the biggest nemesis to Kirk mm. 15, like all these, this time later. Yeah. I mean, it, I, it, I mean, it, it's lucky they did go down that route. And I actually noticed at the start of Star Trek two, it said Gene Roddenberry was like creative input or something, but it was a very minimal role, but they're kind of lucky because they really, they, you know, the original series didn't originally do very well, then they kind of had the first movie. They really shot themselves in the foot and it could have just killed the franchise. So they really needed something to, to kind of liven it up. Well, just to, just to backtrack a little bit there. So Gene Roddenberry created Star Trek. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And then there was X amount of series of the show. Three Not, series. Three, yeah. Three series. But, but actually, it wasn't I think that it, successful. Well, it was only, I think, it, Jared, now you know the original series better than I would, but was it kind of, it went for one series and stopped for a while and then came back for two or something like that? No, it went through the, the three seasons, but it was tr- it was continually struggling to get ratings and um, it was always being showed at the wrong times and whatever else. So it wasn't until it got closed down and then got syndicated that it went wild and there was a massive following and it turned out it was a massive mistake. And that's mm-hmm. when they kind of brought a temporary measure in with the animated series. Oh, and okay, okay. Yeah, so it, it was one of those, it happens with so many shows. If they just get a wrong, the wrong time uh, and the wrong audience, that they won't get the, the gratitude. But also the, the, there was a kind of a lot of upsets and Gene Roddenberry was sometimes difficult to work with. Um, so yeah, it just all the things went wrong at the, at the time. But yeah, mm-hmm. clearly the quality was there. What was the the time difference between the last series uh, being finished, you know, and wrapping up, and the first film? What, how how what's the time scale it's we're talking here? Eleven or twelve years. Yeah, uh, it was so nineteen sixty seven, and I think the first movie was seventy eight or nine or something like that. So when that first film was released, this this is a big deal. This is nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is this TV show that's been wrapped up for a while, but that had kind of slowly gained momentum and has a big fan base. We have now a big film. Mm. So that's a big deal. Am I right in saying that? Oh yeah. I'd say it was massive at the time. So then was there a big backlash when that film was a bit of a hot mess? Yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't actually know what the kind of reaction at the time was. I'm sure it probably wasn't well received because as Jer was saying, it wasn't, it, it wasn't the same sort of crew. All the uniforms were different. The mission was a bit of a, boring going nowhere kind of deal and they were just kind of had no emotional investment in it it was just yeah wasn't great yeah, so okay before we really dive into it and and, and i know jer has volunteered to do the 240 which he's looking forward to <laughs> but jer we need to find out a bit more about you yes yes um you watch other films from star trek <laughs> no <laughs> never <laughs> yeah i'm not i'm not exclusive <laughs> Exclusively in a relationship with Star Trek. Uh, so before we started this, we asked you to think of, well, I, I actually asked you last night to come up with uh, two to three of your favorite films. And you, you pointed out, well, one of them is Ratha Khan. So did you have a think about uh, another two or three films that kind of typify the you. types of, yeah, speak to you, that typify the kind of movies that you like? Yeah. So one of them as well is Gladiator. 
Okay. okay. Like that's just a classic and it's just a long human journey as well as all the action and everything else that comes with it. Um, another one probably kind of struck kind of torn between the Godfather and uh Blade Runner. So you can see I, I do like the, the kind of yeah, I love Blade Runner. Yeah. So you kinda of like you like movies yeah, with you like really so strong male leads. Well, yeah, I suppose that's one way of putting it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you've got a gangster. It's like 90% of films, and in fairness. <laughs> well, fairness, yeah. Uh, you've got sort of gangster movies. So Godfather, love it. I wasn't mad about Gladiator, to be honest. What? I like Gladiator. Uh, I thought it was, I thought it was, I thought it was good. It was clearly a big epic and all that kind of stuff. It just didn't really go anywhere for me. I was just kind of, I don't <laughs> really go anywhere. <laughs> I don't really like Russell Crowe and I just, yeah, I don't know. Those kind of movies don't really do it for me for some reason. It's such a dad movie, isn't it? Oh, do, do you know another one? I know I know. I only have two or three, but like another one's Monte, the Ken of Monte Cristo. Oh yeah. So, you always, okay. you always said you love that movie. Yeah. I've never, yeah. I've never seen it. So the theme probably is that redemption and that full circle, you know, you know, where they get everything taken away from them and they manage to fight back to win the day in the end. So maybe that's the, mm. the theme there. Yeah. And uh, <clears throat> Blade Runner, Blade Runner is an interesting one. We've only watched that recently. It's a, it's a good movie, but I think, it, I don't know, for me, it didn't, it, there wasn't enough, I don't know, action in it or something. It, it was kind of, it was kind of long, uh, but not a lot of, not a lot happening. A lot of the time, you often say that, Con. You often say not a lot happens in films. That's well, like... well, it doesn't. <laughs> I was like, "Come on, get on, get to the point." Well, I I watched. We actually watched Blade Runner in two parts, and I don't know if I had a headache or if I just wasn't. I just it was just a film that I could not grasp onto, and I I really wanted to like it because it, it it seems like. A film that I would like, and I actually loved Blade Runner nine uh, two. What's the sequel? I, I preferred actually the sequel. I, I have to say, yeah, I thought the sequel was I, very. Yeah, good. I suspect I was just not in good form though when I was watching the original one. I don't know. Oh, I love the sequel. The sequel. Yeah. You don't like it? No, I love it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very good. Was uh, really, really I good. thought the sequel was brilliant. I, I did. I wasn't a mad fan of the the original. Anything else? Any other movies that kind of that speak to you? Like a movie that you always go back to. If you're having a shit day and you're just like, oh, I want to watch something and you're flicking through the TV and this movie comes on, you're like, oh, I've seen it a billion times, but I'm going to watch it again. One of the ones that I always watch is like the entire James Bond series. <laughs> um, but that's not one. That's just kind yeah. of what you go back to, you know. What's your favorite James Bond movie? Oh, no. What's your favorite James Bond? That's the question. Oh, oh that's a good one. You always um, liked Sean Connery, didn't you? Yeah, I always like Sean Connery, but I mean, my, everyone likes Sean Connery. My favorite might be Goldeneye, though. At the end okay, of the day, yeah. Pierce Brosnan was a great Bond, and I actually really think it's unfortunate that his last film is is Die Another Day because I think a lot of people look back on his stint as Bond as these kind of really camp, kind of ridiculous movies. It was only the last one that was stupid, really, wasn't it? Yeah, uh, like, like Goldeneye was so strong; it just yeah. showed that he was given bad, bad uh, scripts and bad kind of. Uh, yeah, stories to, to play. So it's was, it was a pity. Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow I Never think... Dies is good. Goldeneye was good. The world's not enough is good. The They're world all good. Is... Apart Which from... one was the world is not enough? What happens in that one? That's the one with Denise Richards. Yeah, and the sub, and they're they're like fighting uh, in the yeah. reactor and or something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, and then the final one was Halle Berry. Is that right? Yeah, and 
he has an invisible car and they go to an ice hotel it's very yeah. very yeah, it's not great yeah scratch your eyes out kind of thing I don't think that's Pierce Brosnan's world <laughs> yeah no, 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 no. Yeah. Um, what I, I find this more fun right is tell us the film that you don't like that everyone else seems to love and the opposite as well the film that you do like that everyone else seems to think is crap okay so I don't like Harry Potter what okay. I knew no. this. I knew this. When you said this to me yesterday, I was like, oh, God, I remember is these. Is this the franchise or is it the films? Um, everything about it. Just like okay, the franchise little, in little children wizards running around. <laughs> their it's ridiculous to me. Why is it ridiculous? It's fantasy. I know, but like I'm kind of uh, on my side of the line in science fiction. I just don't have enough time for wizards. It's too yeah. far. That's you exactly like... what Fergal said. Fergal said he couldn't. Yeah, oh, it's like suspend disbelief or whatever. That's it. You're, the suspension is disbelief. So there's this, like Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, all that. Is that just too out there? Like, and doesn't make sense to you? I thought you liked Lord of the Rings, Jerry, no? Yeah, I do. So, like, that's the wizard oh. I can get behind, like Gandalf. You know what I mean? Because he's, he's a big old man, but like a bunch of kids <laughs> waving wands. It's ridiculous to me. Well, Dumbledore's a big yeah, old Dumbledore, man. Yeah. Gandalf was a kid at one stage. Well, I don't know, but he was probably born out of the star of something else. But uh, is it is it just kind of lots of kid protagonists that just get that you just can't take to? Yeah, but it's kind of like nerd, like at least Lord of the Rings. There's a wizard who's like just doing old man wizard things. That makes sense. But most of it's kind of like fighting and orcs and elves and whatever is in that movie. Whereas this, it, it just seems ridiculous. Like flying around broomsticks. <laughs> like they're wit- like isn't that what witches do? Well, are they, are they witches or what Equaliz- are they? equalization of the sexes and all that. <laughs> Uh, I just I'm, find I'm, that funny that like... Lord of the Rings ride around on white horses. What's wrong with white horses? Like... There's nothing wrong with white horses. What's wrong with broomsticks? <laughs> What's wrong with broomsticks? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Like the last, the last time I saw, like, I watched something with a, a broomstick. It's like bed knobs and broomsticks. That yeah, was, like awesome. what age was I then? That, that <laughs> was that Hocus was a good Pocus. movie. One of my favorite movie, Hocus Pocus. I don't think I've watched that. Oh, jeez. Oh wow. I've seen okay. bits of it though. Okay. I mean, I, I think the books, I really, really enjoy the books when they came out. Um, I'm, I have a complicated relationship because I don't, uh, J.K. Rowling, uh, uh, yeah. And uh, I think the new films, Fantastic Beasts, I think they're dreadful films. But I do have a bit of nostalgia for the books. And I, thought, I think the films are pretty faithful adaptations of the books. I thought the, the now I, I've only read, uh, well, I've read a couple of the books in German and then a few in English, but I thought the, the movies were... Yeah, they're faithful. Probably the most faithful you could have been to the books Mm. while making, you know. Yeah, there is something lost. Two-hour movie. There is something lost there, but I mean, that's fair enough. Okay, the opposite then, Jared, this is my favorite question, is what's a film that you like that everyone else thinks is trash? Flash Gordon. (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh no i can get on board with that and that's very you that that fits in line with all the other films you like yeah that makes yeah sense. it's just it's just awesome and it's like over the top and it's silly and <laughs> i got these are all things that you could say for harry potter mind <laughs> <laughs> what is he running around the place in a spaceship i suppose it's camp isn't it it's great camp flash gordon yeah yeah but, but and it's got like queen doing the music and you know what I mean? It's just it's just silly and fun, and uh, like I used to watch it when I was a kid. It was and it was just mem- nostalgic and fun in that respect. But a lot so, of people yeah. kind of watch it and say it's trash. Uh, that's I not... guess it's trash 
in the best possible way. It's kind of like a pizza, like it's trash food, but like it still tastes good. Yeah, Flash Gordon tastes good. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> you said it. Uh, I'm just looking at Flash Gordon. I, I don't think I've ever watched it, to be honest. I must look at it, but there's like... Oh, Brian... You're messing. Oh, wow. I don't think I have seen it, actually. I, I But I'm just looking at Brian Blessed is, is in it. Uh, Topol, who's uh, Tevye in uh, Fiddler on the Roof, is in it. Oh, yeah. That's a classic. Um, uh, I was considering picking that for it. superhero season. Flash Gordon. I was, yeah, and I wasn't sure if it, if he really counted as a superhero, so I didn't pick it. I didn't think it did count enough, but it was kind of on my hmm, list. Hmm. I think that's something. I mean, he's we a hero. Watch. I just don't. Just... We should put that on our list of, of movies to watch. I think I I, I need to I need to oh, see yeah. it. Yeah, I can come back when you're doing that one if you want. <laughs> but like, the important thing is, like, he does. He's like Batman. Like, you actually respect him more because he hasn't got superpowers, and he still still saves the day. Fair enough. Okay, great. So there are your movies. Before we get into I was just going to say, sorry, we're cutting off across each other. I was going to say, before we uh, continue, do you want to tell people what they're listening to? So you're listening to Silver Screamers. Silver Screamers is our film podcast where we pick a theme or genre and dissect four films in that theme or genre from different decades. And this week we're doing Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan from our Star Trek series with our very special guest, Jer. So can I ask you boys a question? Yeah, go on. So, okay, so you guys are... Well, when I was a child, I I feel like Enterprise was like a big thing, right? And it was definitely something that like I would have watched a few episodes of. Um, but the Enterprise. old series, I never... It, the one with John Lupicard, is that not oh, Enterprise? No, that's The Next Generation. You're getting your series mixed generation. up now. Oh, my right. God. Okay, okay, okay. okay. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. the one, the one with the, and then, and then, not the, the most. I think the most successful series of Star Trek was the, it was the one I liked with Janeway, and I think, I think everyone kind of agrees she was the <laughs> best captain. <laughs> um, oh, you're so far off the mark here. No, I think that because like, I was looking at the thing, and like, she, she got a Twitter post. She got lots of votes. I think um, well, Janeway can go fucking kiss my ass. To be honest. Um, no, yeah. like yeah, and I think she's probably, well. We'll, 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 we'll talk about her another day. Anyway, I do. I do think she's <laughs> probably the best captain. But um, uh, I think he's. I think he's just trying wh- to wind where us did, up. Where did I am being. I'm being a bit of a troll. I'm being a troll. Where did Star Trek? Where did the love of Star Trek come for you guys? Because it's it. Your 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 fandom is the is Kirk and Spock. So is it the films or is it the TV show or is it just a mixture of all of them? Well, actually, I. I'm not a Kirk head. Jer is more of the you. You love the original series, Jer. And do you think that's the best series? I like the original and the Next Generation equally. Um, when I was growing up, my mom used to watch the original series, so uh, right. it was kind of inflicted upon me or <laughs> blessed upon me, whichever way you want to look at it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I, I mean, the Next Generation started in 1987, so I was three, I guess, and. Uh, Bernard, wow! Yeah, my brother was big into it. it. So it was kind of a a weekly, because that you know back then before Netflix and everything, you had to what you had to wait a week to to watch the the episodes. So every whatever day it was on uh, of the week, we would we'd sit down and watch Star Trek. So yeah, it was just uh, it's just one of those things that uh, one of those TV series that you look back fondly on, and so that's it was on every day at like five or six on Sky One, wasn't it? Well, after it was syndicated, then yeah, I mean, when it when it kind of ended, and it ended in ninety four, and then like for 
15, 20 years, possibly to this day, it's it's on it's on some channel every day. Yeah, I and guess I never, most of what syndicated episodes. You never really got interested in Star Trek, Paul. It was it was never your kind of. No, I had my best friend in primary school. His whole family were big sci-fi people, and they watched like all the old Doctor Who's before Doctor Who was rejigged, and they were all into Star Trek. So I kind of I think maybe some of my osmosis came from that direction. And I know I saw one of the John Luke Picard films at the premiere because my uncle had connections. But I think it was a show that I just found kind of boring as a kid. What? And even to this day, even to this day, if you're watching, I might sometimes if you're because I feel like if I leave you in the sitting room and I come back 20 minutes later, you're always watching Star Trek. That's like, well, the default this is show this is this is the question I was asking uh, Jared before. It's one of those shows for me that if I've had a you know, I can just sit down on the couch. I could have had a bad day, good day, whatever. If I'm flicking through and there's nothing else on and I see, oh, Star Trek The Next Generation, I'll always go and see what episode it is. You know, read the description and it'll say, oh, this is the episode where Worf X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, oh yeah, I know that one too well. Or if it's one I haven't seen in a long time, I go, oh yeah, I'll check that out again. I'll just... You'll literally be able to You'll say to me, oh, this is when this happens and this is when this happens. And I'll be like, oh, why are you watching it? You, I could nearly you know, recite. I could <laughs> recite a lot of those episodes. Back you from could. Uh, yeah. Jer, I was, do, you know, do you remember the episode, Jer, where um, it was called Yesterday's Enterprise when the Enterprise C comes uh, forward in time? Oh, yeah, with Tashi Har. Tashi Har, yeah. I was showing Paul that. I showed Paul that one like a year or two ago because I was like, this is an awesome episode. And then I was going through all the whole Tashi Yar business and she comes back later on as a Romulan and all this. And he was just looking at me blankly going, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> um, if you know okay, the backstory here, it's pretty interesting and then for you Jer, like what what is it about star trek that that makes you so excited and like what, what is it that makes it pop for you i guess space stuff has always interested me like when i was a kid i wanted to be a, an astronaut you know and when i had by when i couldn't <laughs> become an astronaut and that became obvious um, yeah, I just went and started doing physics and stuff like that just to, because of the interest. So mm. I've just been a bit of a sci-fi nerd for a long time, I guess. But um, I just realized in another movie I did mention earlier that I also love um, and I watch regularly is Interstellar. I don't know if you know that one, but that's oh, like just yeah, com- yeah. complete sci-fi nerd. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. yeah, so it's just it's just liking sci-fi movies, I guess, more than anything. But Star- and Star Trek's one of the, the uh, foundational kind of sci-fi mm. pieces. And I think, though, if I had, to, if if I was asked the question, because this is a question that you know sci-fi people are often asked, is Star Wars or Star Trek? I think I would say Star Trek, but I think you would say Star Wars, sir. Oh, you always ask me this. <laughs> I've probably asked um, you once in the last thirty-five years. <laughs> anyway, go on. Like The Empire Strikes Back is like Sorry. one of my favorite movies as well. Yeah, and it's. Uh, Right up there with the Wrath of Khan, <laughs> if not if not better. Um, so it's kind of <laughs> like so tough to. Okay. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna stay on the fence. Okay. You can't you can't make me choose because okay, <laughs> I I do I have a lot of kind of questions about the Wrath of Khan and critiques that I'm kind of hoping that you guys will defend and kind of kind of come from angles. But before I think I think it's best if we go through the film before we do any of that. Yeah. So I wonder, is now the time to do the synopsis? So I think we will do our two minute 40 and Jerry, you volunteered to do it. 
So we've explained the concept. You have two minutes and 40 seconds to give us your synopsis of The Wrath of Khan. Okay, are you ready? As ready as I'll ever be. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. Okay, so The Wrath of Khan. It uh, starts with Kirk and he's becoming aware of his mortality and his age. And he's stepping away from the captain's chair. The movie then moves to a research expedition that's looking for a planet to um, perform some experiment on. In the in the kind of uh, exploration, they beam down and find some marooned uh, people, and it turns out to be none other than the nemesis from uh, episode twenty-two uh, of the original series, <laughs> Space Seed. Oh no, uh, not episode twenty-two. <laughs> yeah, and Can. So Can was a uh, this this kind of super genetically modified human with his followers that were exiled and left earth um in a kind of a the botany us's botany bay uh in 1996 which at the time was like 20 years in the future so it seemed somewhat believable but anyway um yeah they get confronted by khan khan's not too happy because he's been marooned on this lifeless planet for a long time and he has it in for kirk it turns out that the planet killed his wife um killed most of his followers and a few a few years after they had uh, got marooned there on the planet that was alive, there was a, some some issue where the the SETI Alpha Six blew up and knocked their their planet off off its axis and and screwed the whole planet up. So they were they've been fighting for their lives for the last fifteen years. They had a lot of reasons to be annoyed. So okay, they jump. Got one um, minute left. There's a lot of they jump on the sh- <clears throat> Yeah, yeah. They jump. They jump on the ship. Um, that, that um, the, the research vessel, and they go to find the, the research project that was being done. They, as at the same time, Kirk is out uh, doing his rounds with a new crew on the Enterprise. When it ter- when they kind of communicate to them that they're being intercepted by by this kind of uh, the Reliant, and when they don't get a response, the Enterprise goes to chase, um, and that's when these two come head to head. Khan confronts Kirk. So there's a, a number of melees uh, that happen. Um, there's a number of confrontations. The research project is this really high, this deadly weapon that uh, can create worlds and destroy them equally. And what ensues is a big battle of the ages where eventually, at the end, Spock dies, saving the crew. And oh my god. Oh my god. That's the end. Three, two, one. Oh my God, you made it. Well that done, is, well that done. That is shocking. How did you make that? You were like, yeah, you were like two, a cucumber. You were two minutes into it and you had only said that there was this guy called Can. <laughs> because there's no point in describing how the battles worked. Um, you got to be there. That's very true. Very true. true. Well done. Oh my God. Can I start off controversially by saying one thing that disappoints me with this film? Go on. So... Uh, if Jared could jump through the screen now, it's <laughs> go on. Um, okay, so okay, I'll start off with praise, right? Kirk, great protagonist, very likable, but not like a pure like Lodge. golden boy, which yeah. is great because who wants just a perfect main character? He's got rough around the edges. He's got flaws. That's a great main character. I'm yeah. winning. Okay, then you got Khan, great antagonist. He's uh, Great big man boobs on him. Fair play to him. Apparently they're real. <laughs> and he's very much hates Kirk. And you can kind of see 
I can see White Hicker. I can understand that. I can get that. I can get that. I'm liking this. There's the there's the back and forth, the cat and mouse. I'm what this whole film. I'm like, can't wait until they're in the same room together, having a big, you know, confrontation. Can't wait for this. Can't wait for this. It doesn't happen. It's just all. It's they're, con- they're communicating the way we're communicating now. That's very interesting. Actually, I never thought of that. They never yes, meet. They, they never meet. It's all via, via FaceTime. Yeah, that is actually and a really good point. I I just was like, oh, and so when he kind of falls down, I thought I was like, oh, he's going to get into the the the, the teleporter and the, or something. I don't know. And I just thought, I just felt like. Yeah. Anyway, hey, you wanted you wanted like, like a, a fisticuffs or, or you know not to be fisticuffs. I just wanted something a bit more uh, tangible than what we got. I feel like the actors never even were in the same studio together, so they weren't bouncing off each other. And I and they're both so charismatic that I would have liked that. I actually think it's probably a testament to how good they were that they were so that they were able to because I didn't actually even notice that uh, they had this cat and mouse uh, good versus evil kind of thing going on, delivered it very well. You totally believed it, but actually they never, they never met. Jerry, did you ever even notice that before? Not really. I kind of did. And obviously Chekhov finds the Khan and gets confronted and what's kind of communicated from both the historical series and in the movie to some degree is that, Khan and his followers, but especially Khan, is like genetically modified superhuman. So it kind of feels like even Kirk, despite it, like with his rough and tumble, uh, lovable character, will get smoked by this guy. Yeah, and it kind yeah, of was yeah. communicated as that. So it was never going to be a fair fight in fisticuffs, despite Kirk's historical uh, yeah. gravitas in that area. But yeah, I think that's a good point, actually, because if they did meet, if it did come to fisticuffs, Khan would have just killed him instantly. Oh, but come on. How many times have we seen, like, you know, the David versus the Goliath where there's no hope and then the David uses his wits? I mean, I don't You see. I think they did. I think that it came across quite clearly that Khan didn't care how Kirk died. He didn't want to torture him or do anything like that you know he said to the he said to Chekhov and the other captain just kill Kirk I'm not there I don't see it I don't care just kill him so I think if they were confronted his kind of rage and whatever would have taken him over and he would have just you know snapped his neck or whatever ah but like come on you get some good writing I mean you would have been able to write around that I mean the scene my favorite scene in this film is when so Chekhov is the guy with the accent who gets the slug in his ear is that right and yeah okay so that that whole scene where he's being confronted with those slugs and when can is and he's so and what's the actor who plays can what's his name uh ricardo monte bay or something something like that yeah so he's he's so good i'm i'm i thought that was really compelling and i was i really felt for the two lads and uh so I felt that was like a, such a good setup because at that stage, I know Chekhov was a big character, right? He's yeah. one of the main characters, yeah. Yeah, okay. But I guess he's still not like Kirk or Spock. So that that, that to me was like, oh gosh, look how threatening Khan is when he's with these guys. Wait till he gets his the people he really cares about. Um, and I just, I just, I thought that was all set up for payoff that was never delivered. No, I can understand that, Jack. Yeah. I, I, I get where you're coming from. But I think the, I mean... The movie is so well respected and regarded, uh, and I never even noticed that they never met uh, in the flesh. 
it seems to get around it. It seems like it does. It's not necessary, but obviously you feel cheated about it. Yeah, yeah, I love I love like that his his followers are all kind of extras. And have you ever seen We Will Rock You the musical, the Queen musical? <laughs> <laughs> They're all like, or maybe like kind of newer productions of Jesus Christ Superstar. Like they all yeah. got lots of lots of big muscle chest and and uh, well, long, what they're dressed in, they look hair. like out a willow or something. Or yes, it's kind of futuristic fantasy, kind of yeah. yeah. Um, and they so just explain this to me so. What actually happened to to Kirk uh, to him? So and why? How is Kirk responsible? Yeah. So when they found the ship adrift and they resuscitated these these uh, people in stasis, Khan and his, he, he's very charismatic. He was trying to cre- create like a revolution and be this this kind of king leader uh, on Earth before he was like exiled. So naturally, with his superior intellect or whatever he wants to call it, um, he couldn't be subservient to the captain right. and he tried to take over the ship and he tried to he saw it as a kind of a tool and a weapon for him to start his new empire mm. so at that point they, they there was a bit of a struggle and kirk obviously won like he always did um and instead of killing him or doing or putting him in, in space jail and bringing him back to the federation they decided to maroon him on a, on a, on a planet yeah. which should have was supposed to be okay but it turned out to be not okay yeah, so right. they this can fella back in the nineties in the Star Trek world in the nineties, uh, we created these genetically modified humans, right? Who were super soldiers, okay? But they got a bit ahead of themselves and Captain the, Americas, yeah, kind of. Uh, so they were super intelligent, super strong. They could write battle plans and you know build technologies that no other human could, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they got a bit ahead of themselves. They've thought, we're the great ones. We're going to kill all those people that we feel don't live up to our expectations, which was uh, basically everyone. So they stuck them all into these, what they call cryogenic stasis tubes and shot them out into space on this US Botany Bay. So then the Enterprise comes along, finds them, as Jared described, and then you know there's a big brawl and then they maroon them on this uh, planet. So then in the film... They go to this, and I thought this was a bit unbelievable. They go to what, so they maroon them on this planet called SETI Alpha 5, right. and then SETI Alpha 6. So that's like if they maroon them on, you know, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Mars, <laughs> Jupiter, right? They, they maroon them on Jupiter, yeah, and then Saturn explodes, yeah, causing this wasteland then on right. Ju- Jupiter. So that's why. So they thought that they were going to Saturn, but they actually ended up on Jupiter. Now, I don't really get how they made that mistake because <laughs> they can just count back the planets and they go, oh, that's not Seti Alpha 6. It's it does, Alpha 5. Yeah, it does seem like a fairly big administrative error. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the whole point was that when Seti Alpha 6 blew up, it, it knocked the other planet off course. Um and in doing uh, off its orbit, so it actually fell roughly into the or- orbit of the old one. Oh, okay, um, okay. And being that far away from the sun or it, its respective star, it, it obviously changed the climate and destroyed all the life. And mm. it definitely wouldn't have been perfectly in line. There would have been some margin for error. So yeah, it's, it should have been picked up a bit. But that was the kind of the thing they were trying to sell. And yeah, yeah. So it's fine. so it all, all yeah. of the 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 the. We will rock you, kids. They're all his followers, but they were all part of his rebellion, and that's why they were removed there with him. Is that right? Yeah, 
Yeah. And why were they like, they were all like 20. And he, like, so. I don't know. Uh, maybe he was the first of his kind or something. Um, yeah. And the rest of them didn't age or something mad. Yeah. I think that they might've also been born young into the cult and right, okay. uh, grown up with them. Cause I think there was kids on the Botany Bay as well, but I can't remember now. Okay, and then okay, there's a few other things I was confused about. Okay, so you got Chekhov. What's Chekhov's role in 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 space? <laughs> tactical. Oh yeah, he's tactical. And then who was the, the other chap? He had never met Kirk before. He was like another person. Yeah, he was the captain of the Reliant. Right. Okay. So the so and that's the ship that Khan ends up overtaking. Exactly. Yeah. So they they're flying around and they they're chatting to these scientists who are in orbit on this planet that Khan is on. Is that right? Uh, not quite. They're they're orbiting a an asteroid, I think, or a moon that they've been doing their phase two of their project, and then Chekhov and this other captain, they were looking for a planet to actually use this piece of technology on, and they okay. were scouting for this planet. Um, was it just the two of them on their ship? No. So they the two of them beamed down got confronted yeah. by Khan, then Khan beamed up to the ship and then marooned the, the entire crew. Cr- the crew of the Reliant on that planet. I don't remember that at all. They mention it and then at the end uh, Kirk mentions oh we're, we're en route to Seti Alpha 5 to pick up the crew of the Reliant or something like all that. Right, okay, okay. Okay. Haha. <laughs> no, yeah, I wasn't yeah. trying to catch it out. I was trying to just get it all clear in my head. You made a good point though when we were watching it last night, Paul, about this uh, Genesis device that they use, and you know they've they've created uh, life in this cave essentially on an asteroid, and you're kind of like, mm, I'm pretty sure you need sunlight for all this plants to be grown and stuff. They they did say it created a matrix though, so I was wondering was that kind of a kind of a mumbo jumbo term for a fake energy Ugh. source. If you look at the actual scene when they're in the cave, you can see sun coming through the back of the cave somehow. So, yeah, so they must have like got mirrors and like reflected the sun into the cave or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, there could be light from a nearby star, but it was a stretch. Yeah. <laughs> so I suppose I, I feel like I'm being like the negative Nancy of the, the thing here. And it's not, I did enjoy this film. I just want, I do want to stress that I did enjoy it. But I, there were certain elements that I think, I think. I was like, okay, Star Trek has always been kind of there in the horizon, but it's never really kind of grabbed me before. But this apparently is is the big one, and this is going to be amazing. And I just there were certain th- there were certain things that I kind of was like, oh, okay, that's not maybe as exciting as I would have thought. And for for in my opinion, what makes science fiction really exciting, as opposed to fantasy, which I think fantasy, which I think is essentially Star Wars, because it's just the, the Force and you chosen one and all that kind of crap. Mm. But fantasy, to me, is all more that all that wizardy crap that all that wizardy crap. I do like it, and it's it's fun and exciting. <laughs> but I, I think sci-fi is more interesting in terms of themes and stuff because it's more based on science, I guess. Yeah, and I think a lot of the really fun things in science fiction is when it brings up these weird ethical dilemmas that we don't have to face yet, but we might someday, like. Like in Jurassic Park, like is it would you know just because we should, just because we could, does that mean we should? You know that's that's what really mm. makes Jurassic Park amazing. It's not just kind of um, a monster flick. And then Planet of the Apes as well has some great questions about you know choices that we're making. You know Ender's Game. Uh, I didn't really like the film, but the book Ender's Game has amazing kind of sci-fi poses all these kind of questions. I should think be of, genocide and that. Yeah. 
exactly exactly where where does it and i always kind of thought what made star trek more interesting even if not better than star wars certainly more kind of layered is that it had all these kind of ethical conundrums and certainly when we've watched episodes of the next generation con there has been there's loads of these like ethical philosophical questions about that and i think even if it's not my jam i'm kind of like oh that's that's clever that's good and I was searching for that in this film. I was kind of looking for the angle. And when they mentioned Genesis creates life but destroys life, I was kind of like, oh, that's interesting. That's that's a really... F- so, like, if there's a tiny population of life on a planet, but you could create a much bigger population, but therefore mm-hmm. you'd have to kill it. That's a good question. But they didn't they didn't play with that enough. And, I, I, and I'm not really sure what... if there, Was this just a kind of a, a revenge battle in space or was there something more that this film was trying yeah, to say? I mean, I, don't, I think you're right, though. I mean, again, I think going leading on from the first Star Trek movie, they needed something with a bit of gravitas and, and not necessarily... And I don't mean gravitas in terms of, you know, moral and ethical dilemmas and all that. They needed action and they needed... Uh, you know, character development and this big bad that Kirk had faced before. So it was very much about it, it was it was you know if you look at if you look at one of the first scenes when Chekhov goes into the the Botany Bay before he even realizes it's the Botany Bay, the book Moby Dick is there, and this was Captain Ahab you know, looking, trying to hunt down Kirk to kill him, no matter the cost. Symbolism. Um, yes. <laughs> um, I did enjoy that. <laughs> uh, so I, I mean I, I think while Star Trek does have all that you know you know this taking a marvelous this film kind of just went to no it's a revenge pick yeah you know there's this bad guy he's a big bad he's a nemesis he's pissed off he's coming for, for Kirk it also had character development it had you know Kirk meets his son for the first time and his, his ex-wife uh, the Genesis device comes into the next film as well so one thing about the original Star Trek films is that they do, apart from the first one, they do sort of all flow on. Well, Star Trek 2, 3, and 4, anyway. Star Trek 5, not so much. And Star Trek 6, to a little extent. Um, but it is a living universe, even if it doesn't always yeah. refer to itself. Yeah, that, that, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. I think that one of, the, one of the great scenes of this that I really, really enjoyed was where Kirk... So the, the first time Kirk and Khan are on the view screens together and the the enterprise is bashed up and it's been you know shot at and whatever and they come up with this plan within two minutes of accessing the reliance uh, computer systems shutting down their shields and then retaliating and i just thought that that was played out very very well and they kind of showed this real tactician in kirk that you don't you don't necessarily see all the time, but it kind of, yeah, I just really like that uh, that scene. Yeah, and it was, a, it was a reasonable premise that there would be that kind of fail-safe against yeah, kind yeah, of yeah, enemies yeah, yeah, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. So it wasn't that far-fetched. So uh, that, that that's one of the, the my favourite scenes in the movie, actually. Yeah, And I, I and just back on the kind of the, the battle in space over the physical battle in person, so much of Star Trek are being kind of criticised for not having enough epic space battles like other sci-fi. Um, so compared to that for the Star Trek universe, like this was a, a pretty sensational battle in space um, and pretty action-packed. Like the pace of the movie is pretty, it's pretty heavy. Like it, it does, there's some scenes where it pauses for reflection, but 
other than that, it kind of moves along very quickly and yeah, very action packed, at least for Star Trek. Yeah, no, yeah. you're right. You're right. I mean, one of the things, you know, if you look at other sci-fi like Star Wars, like Battlestar Galactica, Star Trek has never been a, you know, shoot phases all the time, shoot out all your photon torpedoes kind of show. It's always been, and like the, the in the first movie, I don't think they fire phasers once, you know, there's <laughs> nothing in it. So yeah, that was actually a criticism of mine for a while. So I was like, you know, these things are, these epic space battles are amazing when they happen, but in Star Trek, they don't happen very often. But actually then when they do happen, you're like, oh my God, this is awesome. It didn't remind me at all of Star Wars, the, the space battle either. It's like, which it was, you know, I guess the, this is 1982. So Star Wars was very hot at this time, right? And probably because of that, they said that's maybe one of the reasons why they said, okay, we need a bit of this action stuff in our movies. Yeah, yeah. But it didn't feel, it, it wasn't like there was lots of little, you know, in Star Wars, it's all about getting your, your fighter pilots out mm. and blasting each other. There was nothing like that. Well, it ended up being more kind of like a game of chess. Yes. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's what kind of made it interesting. So lots of explosions, lots of phasers and torpedoes. But importantly, it was all about the tactics and these two guys facing off on multiple occasions and trying to trying to balance the kind of uh, playing field where they could. Like one of the one of the really uh, clever bits of this movie when they're in the nebula at the end and they're kind of flying around the place and they can't really see each other. Spock says he's very clever in his moves, but actually it's, his movements are showing a lack of experience and he's only thinking two-dimensionally. And Kirk says, ah, uh, Z-axis minus 10,000 meters or something like that. You know, so whereas Khan is kind of scanning forward and back and left and right, Kirk actually says, oh, no, hold on, let's go down and let's come up behind him, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, so, yeah. 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 I don't, I don't actually think that's the right terminology in space. Go down and <laughs> down. Down and left and right. The <laughs> relative terms. Um, can I ask a few questions about, I think her name is Savik. Kirstie Alley. Kirstie Alley. Alley yeah. Who I thought was a really, I liked her in this a lot, actually. I actually think she did a really good job. She did a great job. So just tell me about, so, okay, so, okay. Again, treat me like a, a novice here. So you got your humans, which is what Kirk obviously is, and most of the cast. And then Vulcans have point are the pointy ear guys, and they're telepathic to a very limited degree. Is that right? Yeah. And they have like a special pinch move. <laughs> yeah. Anything else that you need to know about them? Uh, well, they're all a bit logic, aren't they? So they they were they suppress all their emotional. Uh, their emotions so do they suppress them or do they not have them no they well they so say hundreds of years ago their species were very emotional and violent uh so they learned to suppress their emotions and you know become a, a race of uh that relied on logic rather than emotion they have a i can't exactly remember what the term is but they have this kind of process that you can go through which is about purging all emotion right okay um but yeah it's a suppression suppression of emotion okay so that's okay and then who are the romulans because i keep hearing this term and i can't i don't i don't know what they even look like or who they are or whatever they look they look very similar and they're actually related to falcons yes. so that yeah is, is there a character that i would know that's a romulan I don't think so. 
Tasha Yar, yeah, but I don't think you'd you'd I don't think Paul would know her. No, Paul would, might know Tasha Yar, but not her as a, a Romulan. So no, I don't, like they're not that the so do you know the way in some of the Star Trek movies you've seen, uh, the the Star uh, Federation and the Klingons are are at war. Yeah. Well, they kind of resolve their differences. Uh, so the new enemy, I guess, is the Romulans. Uh, so the Romulans are very secretive. They're very sort of independent or away from the Federation and all things Federation. They're a race which are descended from Vulcans, but haven't, you know, don't rely on logic. They're much more, they're portrayed much more as sort of sly, manipulative, secret agent-y kind of people and race infiltration and all okay, that kind of okay. stuff. I feel like I read somewhere that Kirstie Alley's character was 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 a was a cross between a Romulan and a Vulcan. Is that correct? Because she was like crying at the end and that wouldn't be a Vulcan thing to do. Well, that was one of the points that I was going to talk to Jerry about because, yeah, I thought it was a bit out of character. Uh, I don't, there was nothing in it that suggested she was Romulan and I don't think she would have been allowed into the Federa- Federation if she had been a Romulan. Uh, mm, so I thought... Against the old Romulans. Well, they're at war. I don't know if they were at war at that time, but anyway... They do mention, actually, though, that Bones has Romulan ale. So it could be that she got the Romulan ale and gave it to him, maybe. But they never say it, so that's just kind yeah, of Yeah, okay. It might have been just kind of behind the scene thing. Okay. And um, I think it's very hard for... I think it's actually harder for an actress than an actor because, because I think we have certain expectations for whatever reason. But I think it's very hard for uh, an actor to play kind of logic and unemotional without coming across as like boring and or cold and she didn't either i thought her character was kind of warm and had a i wouldn't say an innocence that's not the right word but um a kind of a, a gumption that i i liked mm. a lot. yeah like one of the things that the reoccurring things through the movie is she's frustrated at not knowing how yes. to pass the kobayashi maru yeah. Uh, and she keeps on badgering Kirk uh, for the insight as to what he did and how he managed to pass the, the test, let's say. Um, so it kind of shows, let's say, a, a little bit of an, her immaturity in that respect. But so then at the end, when Kirk is mentioning how Spock was one of the most human people he ever knew, like that was kind of uh, echoing, obviously, with her character. And that's why she kind of crumbled and showed emotion more, I think, more so than I think her being Romulan. It's just that she's, let's say, a little less Vulcan, and um, the emotion was that so strong that she couldn't contain it. Mm. Right. Okay. That that line actually struck me as like racist. I wonder how I'd <laughs> feel about that if I was Vulcan. Like, let's just say I just try, I was actually thinking of like a, a comparison that would make like let's say Irish and Spanish people. Like, there's like there's no but beef or anything between Irish and Spanish people. And there's no, you know, where there's two, you know, two parallel nations, but you know, that's perfectly fine. But if like a Spanish person did something and I was like, wow, that's amazing. That person is so Irish. I feel like other well, Spanish like, people or, would be like, uh, what are you saying? <laughs> could, you imagine, could you imagine if you were at, say, like a, a black person's funeral and you said, of all the people I've known, he was the whitest. Or well, that, that's why I said Irish and Spanish people, so there would be kind of no racial <laughs> things there. But yeah, like one of, I was, like, one of the things about this movie is, is it like in a couple of instances, it shows its age to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Like there was that line, which which uh, I thought was slightly yeah. racist. There was uh, Kirstie Alley getting into the turbo lift and they're like, oh, have you done something with your hair? <laughs> I have not. I just haven't gotten a ponytail, you yeah. asshole. <laughs> and um, 
two of the male characters say that to her. And then there was another thing which I was trying to remember, which I can't at this point. It's gone out of my head now. But yeah, there was a there was a few instances where uh, where it kind of shows its age. I mean, yeah, I think I think you have to mention though that like Star Trek. I mean, you, it was ahead of its time in so many ways and so far. Oh, definitely, yeah. Like Michelle Nicholas was is your uh, horror? Is that right? Michelle Nichols. Nichols, okay. And I I remember years ago having hearing an interview with her where she was just blown away that she had an, uh, she was offered a role that wasn't a this is in the, I guess the sixties she would have mm. debuted that role. This was a, a black actress that was offered a role that was neither cleaner nor slave, and this yeah. is just unheard of. And I know Whoopi Goldberg when she was a child she credited that role as like because Whoopi Goldberg was said she was a big nerd she was really into sci-fi but just there was no black women in that type of you know and that's that's one of the reasons why she requested a role and she said I don't care what the role is in in the next generation I just want a role I just think that's so cool I I, that being said though I think Uhura and actually a lot of the team were a bit wasted I felt in this like Uhura really just has a couple she doesn't even leave her chair does she I mean she wouldn't have had the biggest role in the original series anyway she was very much a supporting character, was she? She is a bit of a supporting yeah. character, yeah. yeah. Same with um, George Takai. Like, he he was, like, very much just a kind of a, a background character in this, anyway. I mean, I think, Jer, is it fair to say that, like, besides uh, Kirk and Spock, the, the others are very much supporting? Yeah, and I, I think one of the things they want, because of the, the inevitable ending, uh, one of the things the director wanted to play on was building up and reinforcing the extent of the relationship between Kirk and Spock and yeah, making them yeah. center stage because it, it would then obviously be that much more harrowing once yeah, uh, yeah. Um, Spock, but Spock was gone. So like the, they actually play bigger roles in the subsequent movies, um, but just, I guess, Khan is such a big character and it was such a, a, a duel between uh, Kirk and Khan that it, it didn't leave more, too much space. And also you were, they were trying to introduce some new characters as well. Like, so, Obviously, the big inclusion of Kirk's kind of wife and kid, or ex-wife and kid, like all these characters to try and give more depth to the two main characters, didn't leave much room for um, additional pro- uh, yeah. additional kind of character yeah, development. Fair enough. Yeah, they were probably like, cast, "Look, lads, you gotta be in the, the other ones. Too. <laughs> we'll, we'll get you. So we'll on, get hang you. On, hang on. We're yeah. killing off Le- Leonard. I okay. I must be. That, I was shocked when the Spock died. I was like, I oh, "Hang on, hang on." And then the credits rolled, and I was like, "Holy shit!" And now, not now, we will be going through the series, but like, I know he's in the other ones, right? He. Like, so the next. Star Trek Three is called the Search for Spock. And well, you just said it off the off the space in a fucking coffin. Well, wh- yeah, but <laughs> what had just happened to that to that planet? They had just shot a uh, a Genesis device which creates yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, okay, yeah. Okay, so that that yeah. that comes into it. That's handy. They have um, created everlasting life. <laughs> well, I think in the in the next one you kind of learn that it's very unstable, and you know the planet that. Okay. Had this device shot at it and it's blowing up or whatever. Um, just just to, to build on Jura's point there about Spock and Kirk, I actually think that was really, I actually love films about friendship or any stories about friendship. Like romance is like by and far the biggest type of, you know, heterosexual romance at that uh, is by and large the like the biggest relationship we see in films. And like, real friendship, not just kind of camaraderie where you, you know, like real loving friendship, um, 
where people like are affectionate and more and um there's not that many films that really that's the main focus like Shawshank Redemption I guess uh, Shawshank mm. Redemption maybe Lord of the Rings a bit with Frodo and Sam um and I think it's lovely and I think that's and I think yeah the two of them clearly had friendship had chemistry as as two actors well uh, interestingly I think the two actors often got at loggerheads Oh, really? um, and they both felt that they should be the big star. <laughs> oh, uh, so I do egos. think that, I think there was ego battle behind the scenes. Am I right in saying that, sure? It was at the start, and it, it was mainly there was more fans around Spock and his kind of niche uh, character. But Kirk was obviously the captain and was supposed to have the charisma, and he was the Hollywood star. So there was a kind of um, they were buying for the fans and felt they were the bigger star, <laughs> stars and I, it, to be honest i mean it's kind of obvious that probably william shatner was the biggest was the kind of the one who was uh, getting jealous of of the uh, the character that spock was and he, uh, having to compete with that just given mm-hmm. it's, it's it's so niche and unique in the kind of sci-fi space and there fans again, just gravitating towards spock yeah i mean there oh, again yeah. spock got a whole movie about him you know that the, the next one is called the search for spock <laughs> so and, but who's the, who i mean who's the main character of that film i guess i mean yeah i mean good point i mean kirk it probably is kirk and uh, his son david is in it again would they have had equal pay i wonder i think leonard nimoy might have he directed some of them i'm not sure if he directed that one so it's hard to say because he probably would have you know a director's salary and an actor's salary yeah, okay, okay. Right. And who had the bigger career outside Star Trek? Probably William Shatner. William Shatner, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. He went on to Boston Legal and, and various other TV shows. He was in, oh, he was in, uh, oh, what's that one with Sandra Bullock? Oh, there's a few of them. Miss Congeniality. Yeah, oh, it. that's right. He was the, the owner of the prom. Like, yeah, not yeah. the owner, but like the owner. He also was Booker, uh, what's his name? Where he was a cop. Um, not Booker T. <laughs> no, uh, T.J. Hooker. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, T.J. Hooker. Do you know who uh, William Shatner is friends with and recently tweeted a get well message to? No, go on. Jedward. Jedward. Yeah, I saw that on Twitter last week. Um, so one of Jedward got their appendix out there a few a few nights ago and just tweeted a picture of them in hospital, and William Shatner like shared it and was like, "Oh, I hope my good friend." John or Edward, whoever gets better, love to you. Oh no way! <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Obviously, at some convention or something, they they met each other. And I've seen William Shatner on a few like documentaries and that, and he is a bit mad. I think I think he's a bit tapped, but <laughs> fair enough. He's ninety this year. Incredible. He, yeah, he doesn't look it. At least in his no, profile picture well. on Twitter, he doesn't. <laughs> um. Well, is there any other characters or aspects you wanted to talk about in the actual plot well, of the film? I just wanted to say, mention one thing about. Yeah. Um, okay, so Khan in this movie, right? Khan, Khan, very good. He does a good job. The actor does a very good job. He they keep referencing his great intellect and all this kind of stuff, <laughs> and I don't think he kind of displays that in this movie. I think. He and, and maybe that's a consequence of him being consumed by this sort of vengeance that he's, he's, his judgment is clouded. But, and I don't know if you know this, Paul, but the newest Star Trek series of the sort of 2010s one, the, second in, the second in that Cumberbatch was the same character. Yeah, he was yeah, Khan. Yeah. And in that, he displayed 
really heightened intelligence and strength and all the rest of it. And, you know, he essentially built this entire ship that was the most advanced ship ever built by the Federation and all this kind of stuff. And I felt that that was a better reflection of what these advanced genetically modified humans were meant to be. Your um, thoughts on that, Jer? I know, yeah. Well, the, the problem is, though, like, that Ricardo character is so strong and domineering that you kind of feel that he would be, he plays the role of the leader and the tyrant far better. So, mm. I, I, and I think to, to the point you're trying to make earlier, like the, so many times that Kirk shows his maturity in being able to bait him, like even to the point yeah. where they're about to go yeah. into the nebula and it's kind of like, oh, we won't have shields and stuff in there. And yeah, Kirk's able to bait him like like, like a yeah, child yeah, into the nebula, yeah, and he's yeah, like, yeah. "I'll have my revenge. I will kill him." And that was kind of back to Connor's yeah. reference to Moby Dick. Like it was literally uh, Captain Ahab going after the whale at all costs, um, throwing away his kind of uh, intellect. And uh, yeah, it, it kind of is a, a theme and shows how his obsession to kill Kirk is his undoing. Yeah. And I think he has a great scene where he's start, where he's he's uh, setting up the Genesis device to to explode, and he says, well, "I can't remember now, but it's with my last breath I spit at thee, and uh, from hell's fire I I don't know shit on you or something." <laughs> <laughs> Whatever he says, it's a great quote. I can't remember what it is. He's a, he he plays the role excellently. Maybe that's a quote from Moby Dick, actually. It probably is. I've just thought yeah, of that now. This film is very much like, yeah, we're quoting literature. Yeah. <laughs> Interestingly, they reference Moby Dick in... So my next choice for uh, the next Star Trek movie, they reference Moby Dick as well. But anyway, we'll get there to that. Um, I, just, I just checked it there, Connor. To the last, I grapple with the from hell's heart, I stab at thee for hate's sake. I, I spit, spit my last breath at thee. Yeah. Is that for so Moby you, Dick? Yeah, yeah. So he's quoting uh, Moby Dick. Uh, yeah. Very good. So well, is, the, is the implication that, like, he was he when he lands on this planet, he happened to get a couple of books and he was just reading these books over and over. I think they were just on the Botany Bay when they were shot. At, well, I don't know why there would be books on that ship because they were essentially put into cryogenic stasis and shot off into space. They, they probably they put books on the ship and say, yeah, "Oh, they just, might enjoy a read when they wake up." Just in case they wake up. Yeah, they <laughs> didn't have they didn't have Kindles in a Star Trek. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's more to kind of layer in the, those themes of revenge and the comparisons to Moby Dick rather than it being yeah, <laughs> an yeah, integral yeah. part of the story itself. No, yeah, it's, it's it's just there so they can get the camera on it to go, oh, look at this. But it's just, you know, when you think about it, these people were shot off into space in 96 uh, in cryogenic stasis. Why why were books put on the ship? Anyway, maybe so- Kirk gave them the books when, they were, when he was like, marooning them on the planet are we kind of winding down because there's a there might be a little uh segue there for my thesis statement okay yeah go into your thesis statement so okay so this is this is not really a thesis statement it's more of an observation that of sci-fi that i always think is kind of funny um so what year roughly are we talking about that this is set? set? This is about two two thousand and two hundred, is it? Like 23rd? it's the twenty-third century. So what's that? That's twenty-two, and I think they reference the Romulan ale being from twenty-two eighty-five. So it's a around twenty-two ninety or something like that. Okay, so you're talking nearly three hundred years in the future, yeah? Yeah. Yeah, okay. And this is something I often notice in sci-fi. They did this in um 
uh, a book series I read and they made a film out of it, The Mortal Engines. Do you remember we watched that film, The Mortal Engines, last year with Robert Sheehan? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they did this in, I think they do this in Ender's Game. Maybe not Ender's Game. Do you see this a lot in sci-fi? Films that are set like 200 years in the future. Everyone keeps referencing media that's like, that we talk current. about now yeah, that's yeah. current now so like he t- i mean i'm not that moby dick is current but like moby dick is like 150 years old now but like it's really old it's like chaucer <laughs> to yeah. to star trek and it's not the only one they also uh, the best of times is the worst of times they mentioned that as well in this which is charles dickens i believe mm. Mm. and when they're down when they're looking at all the books i had a quick scan i think there's like a journey to the center of the earth is there as well it's all these kind of classics that we would have and i also think that's a really fun funny sci-fi trope to be like oh here's lots of books that uh that are that you'll recognize yeah, yeah. and I, if i was to write something like this i would be like ah that famous book that was written 150 years ago in <laughs> 2062 because it's very rare that a book or that literature kind of stays on more than 200 years well but if you if you look at what you're referencing like moby dick and charles dickens they are all 100 years old, 150 years old. So I think they're probably getting at the classics don't die. Now, I know that like there's mm-hmm. probably there's probably other media that is referenced that you're like, well, you know, they're not listening to Britney Spears 300 years ago. Exactly, now. exactly, <laughs> yeah. I just think that it's not even a statement. It's just something that I thought of that I thought I would highlight. I maybe. mean, uh, in, in a couple of episodes in, in The Next Generation, Picard is listening to classical music like Brahms and, you know, Mozart and... Think, <laughs> classical music could be Britney Spears in 200 yeah, well and <laughs> I think there are other episodes then when there's pop music playing and it's like is that classical <laughs> you know kind of this yeah, kind okay, of okay, funny okay. stuff well actually I think it's telling it's telling because of the in the in the motion picture they kind of went really super sci-fi silly sci-fi yeah. and they went away from the, the parallels of traditional uh, comparison to a ship a naval ship where you had kind of memorabilia from ships before you mm, and okay. the, the crew kind of had those uniforms because you, you see the kind of uniforms went back to being more naval like and um, all the memorabilia in like in Kirk's house was all all nautical. Uh, there's a lot of few nautical. Oh, yes, as well. that, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they were kind of playing off the kind of traditional, everything was becoming far more traditional and the director wasn't actually a sci-fi nerd himself when he took up the role. Uh, he was kind of actually not, not in sci-fi at all. So he was trying to relate a lot of stuff to traditional ships and mm. maritime and kind of stuff like that. Even even in the music and the themes, like the they kind of replaced uh, Jerry Goldsmith or whatever the the traditional uh, composer was for Star Trek, and they replaced him uh, with, with James Horner. And he kind of tried to bring a whole new kind of uh, Lisa life and bring far more kind of, uh, of of a score and a pattern and a lot of those ship themes can be kind of heard in there as well so it, it is a reflection of the, the the director and how he wanted to portray it and move away from being too sci-fi mm-hmm. and being more grounded in reality and human i think you're right and i think like one of the things about star trek is they're not you know they are almost like they're naval explorers they're not military uh you know th- are they not military no, they're not military. The Genesis not say, oh, the military always wants scientists to give them their stuff. Well, those scientists consider them the military, but they're not um, they're not okay, considered okay. military, no. 
So like, and, and that naval kind of, the idea of these ships being sort of naval in nature uh, goes into Star Trek, the next generation, then, you know, Picard's ready room has, a, you know, pictures of old enterprises and, and, and all this. Right, okay, stuff. okay. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. yeah. I guess these, yeah, I guess these movies that are set way in the future, they like harking back, uh, particularly Star Trek and, you know, anything which is meant to be a progression of humanity 300 years in the future. They want to relate it back maybe to, to today and to, to you know, yeah, put little course. Easter eggs in there that people yeah, will, yeah. Will, will recognize. Yeah, they're not, they're not designed for like assholes like us to point eight. <laughs> yeah, but it also kind of like they're not just flying around in spaceships because they're big nerds. Like they are on missions of exploration, <laughs> and similar to what what you would have had with the 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 kind of explorers back in the 1500s and so like that. It's they are trying to find new worlds and expand humanity's knowledge and grasp of the universe. So I guess it's trying to just draw those parallels. Mm. And once again, a very much a, a course correction on the the super sci-fi uh, slow pace of the, the the movie before. From a kind of the Bechdel test point of view, we have three fairly prominent uh, character, female characters. We have Ahura, Carol, who is uh, Kirk's ex, and then we have uh, Savik, and only one of them actually has any sort of romantic relationship with a man. So that's so the, the other characters aren't just defined by the men in their lives. I don't think any of them talk to each other, do they? I don't actually think they do. I don't think Savik talks to Carol. No, I don't think so. In the cave would have been the only time. They yeah. Oh, that's been... true. They might have talked to each other then. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. I, I do think like all of them and like, you know, we, even though Carol is, you know, Kirk's ex she has a very active role in the creation of something pretty awesome mm. <laughs> and she does seem to be in charge of a a team of scientists um you know and she's a single mother but she's uh, pretty active in stem so i think it's portrayal of female characters is is pretty yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty and i think well, i mean i think that's why you know and star trek would be very good for portrayal of women portrayal of you know race and interracial yeah yeah we have a, we have one woman uh, we have one woman of color and two white women but oh. um and savik is seems to be kind of being groomed as a captain is, is that right from her first scene as she's sitting in the captain's chair and then i think the kobe Ma- kobayashi maru was like a command uh test so before you became or pr- were promoted into sort of a command role, you took this test to see how you dealt with it. So yeah, I think that's so, yeah, what... yeah. So she's she's obviously. I did yeah, kind she's... of feel it was weird at the start where Spock is, you know, they're saying, "Oh, take the Enterprise out or whatever," and he says, "Oh, have you ever, have you ever uh, brought a ship out, Savik?" And she's like, "No, I haven't." And she says, "Oh, go ahead." And everybody's looking around like, "Oh my god, is she going to crash the <laughs> ship? Is she going to fly it into Mars or something?" And it's just like, "Take us no. out." <laughs> She's not even, she's not piloting it. She's actually yeah. just telling the pilot, like, quarter impulse, take pilot. us out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I think that I, I, I very much got the impression that that was because she was young and a novice as opposed to that she was mm-hmm. a woman. I, did, I didn't feel, I felt she was fairly well respected, to be honest. The only, apart from those comments about her hair, but I think that was, just, I, I think that was more of them being laughed at rather than her being leered yeah. at, to be honest. I, I remembered my other slightly racist comment that was made. Oh, in yeah. this. So it's when uh, Bones says to Spock, you green-blooded, pointy-eared, yeah. something or other. Yeah. <laughs> 
uh, and he, like he's, he says that throughout the movies and you know in the TV show as well they've always had this antagonistic relationship um, he's a bit sassy is Bones he always has been yeah he's yeah, funny yeah, yeah when like when Spock says to Kirk best of luck Kirk or says something and then he's like we'll be fine yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. take care of you or uh, what do you say uh, mind yourself or something he's like we will <laughs> Is there anything I else, Jared, that you want to talk about in this movie before we we wind down? No, I was going to say like the last, last, like once again back to the music. I think was really good, well scored. Um, mm. It had that. It kind of uh, was telling the story and showing you who was who was the center of focus in any scene due to the cadence, due to the the kind of tone of of the music and stuff like that. So. No, I just found compared to the the really long sweeping kind of uh, scores in the first movie, um, and just in general, like this had like really warlord music, and then I had kind yeah. of the romantic, um, hopeful music. And then was switching between the two depending on on what was happening. It was done really dynamically and really interesting. And like, I always it always still grips me when I watch the movie. Um, I, it's a I thought it was a pretty ballsy move to kind of go off the traditional composer with a with a new guy, but I think it paid off big time. I think this is like the the the, I, the this was the first movie that sort of modernized the music, as you said, and it sort of led through then the the rest of the series of movies. Um, but it it needed a shakeup, you know. Uh, it's iconic yeah. though. It's iconic piece of music. The yeah, main uh, score, the main theme. Yeah, I, I think you kind of see that those the way it's done in Star Wars and stuff, and it hadn't been done like putting music around characters and trying to tell the story with the music as well as the the actual visuals and everything else so i think they took they took lessons from the likes of john williams in doing that work and uh, like it, it really was a bit transformational from that perspective Uh, cinematography I thought was great I thought the uh, there was a, a good bit of CGI in this and for 1982 I thought it was really good it looked great I, I don't even know how they did all this no with I thought it was ships. really good it looked so good the Genesis is that the Genesis thing yeah, yeah, it yeah. Great. yeah it looked really good director direction I thought was really good the, the one last thing to mention oh, yeah. is that uh, it's it's Quentin one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite movies as well oh really? I, I, I now hate the movie <laughs> no, I'm really joking. Nah, yeah he, I mean not only does it kind of mention it's one of his favorite movies, but if you look at the start of Kill Bill, is the start of Kill Bill? In when they have the kind of parables being displayed um, before, obviously the um, main character is kind of recovering from being shot or whatever it is. Um, yeah. It mentions like the Klingon proverb of uh, revenge is a dish best served cold. Is that a Klingon proverb or is that a Chinese proverb? That the... Yeah, I don't think no, that's it. That's where it originated from this movie. 
Really? Revenge is a, di- is a dish best served cold. Yeah. Well, I thought, I thought that was from the, yeah, some Chinese proverb or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I do remember that. It's a great, I mean, it's such a, it's such a great. It, if you look at Kill Bill, it literally says on the bottom corner, like Klingon proverb, <laughs> which is, you're kind of like, what, what, what universe are we in here? It's bizarre. <laughs> but um, the, that's not something that Khan lives by, though. He's pretty passionate for his revenge. <laughs> oh, yeah, but it, it's cold, as in it, it's going to be horrible. It's going to be, uh, yeah, no, no warmth. Is it not it, like, it, oh, no, be pa- Is it not like be patient? Because. You know, when it, you know, be patient and to bide your time because then it'll be more satisfying. The revenge. Uh, no, I, just, I, well, I, I took it as a, like a, a cold dish is oh, it's okay. horrible and it's uh, it's nasty and that's the way revenge should be. Um, yeah, I think as I horrible agree. as you can make it. <laughs> I think revenge. Yeah, it's it's um, revenge should be as disgusting as possible. That's not how I took that at all. I always thought like revenge is because when a dish is cold, it means it's been left there for a while to kind of to cool down. Therefore, revenge is best when you sit back and calculate and take your time and bide your time. That's how I always took it. That's really interesting. That's two totally different ways of looking at it. I'm actually looking at it here. I think you I think you you're probably you're you might actually be right, Paul, because it says revenge is a dispenser of cold. Vengeance is often more satisfying if it's not exacted immediately. So I think I think to be fair, I think both interpretations oh, are. Yeah. I think, but I think both interpretations are are valid. I don't think either um, one. I think they're both. We're, uh, we're all winners. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think there's one way to skin a cat. An interesting point off that is that um, Quentin Tarantino's being uh, uh, has been asked for some time. Can he direct a Star Wars, a Star Trek movie? <laughs> I heard that, and I think that would be really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So they obviously have to put the 15s or some other rating on it. Um, but last I heard, um, yeah, it's still in talks. It might, it might still go ahead. And yeah, it's one well, of the things say, he does want to do. Yeah, well, I'd say he would, he would want a lot of creative control. I'd say he'd want absolute yeah, creative control. I, I, I do think when you're using a brand like Star Wars, or sorry, Star Trek, or Star, any, any, when you're using a brand like that, the brand has to come first. You have you can put your little signature in the corner and you know have your little things, but I do think you, you can't totally you can't be bigger than the brand. It has to be a Star Trek film mm-hmm. first and a Tarantino film second. And if you want to, if your name comes first, well then just make your own thing that is because you know like Kill Bill is kind of a parody of the old Bruce Lee films. A lot of his films are kind of nods to other types of films, but with a big Tarantino twist. I think if he makes a Star Trek film, he should put Star Trek first and have his style in the background. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's what J.J. Abrams did. He exactly. put his his style while staying true to Star Trek, and it worked brilliantly. Um, well, I don't think his style is nearly as... as, as um, identify out there as Tarantino's. I don't know if like I would see it AJ he's all about lighting as JJ Abrams you know kind of very bright or colorful lighting uh lens flare lens flares and that yeah great Steven Spielberg kind of but I guess like Tarantino wants to take it a little darker he wants to do that Wrath of Khan story where really deep character development really like stories of revenge and stuff like that so just kind of because I, w- one of the things that you kind of get in this movie as well compared to other star trek movies is like the slugs in the in the 
ears and the people yeah. who've been slit their throats and hung up by ropes. I mean, it's a lot more dark than yeah. the usual yeah. Star Trek movies. So yeah, that's yeah. I, I mean, I totally forgot about those people being lynched almost. Yeah, it's, <laughs> uh, it's pretty awful. I'd say if Quentin Tarantino got his hands on a Star Trek, it'd be battlets, Klingon battlets, and heads flying off people and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> Yeah. some sassy um, language as well I'd, so, uh, I'm so looking at our list here Paul so um, just we before have to... can I just say one more thing before we do that yeah just very very quick is that um, I'm a big fan of another series I don't know if you've ever heard of this Jer. it's called Animorphs it's a series of books in the 90s that I loved and they're very very sci-fi and had loads of these ethical conundrums that i love in sci-fi but the writer Catherine applegate was a massive star trek fan and she in some interviews she quoted a few things that influenced the series but having watched ratha khan she that that series is all about these little alien worms that get inside your brain and take over your brain clearly she used ratha khan as a as an influence for that oh yeah wow like almost identical like like Except that these these aliens are sentient in, in her stories as opposed to just kind of insects. But yeah, I thought that was kind of cool. There you go. It's funny because there was a similar one in uh, Next Generation, you know, those body snatchers. Oh, yeah. It's a common enough theme, though, I think. I that... guess so, I guess. So, I wonder, Jer, yeah. was it the same, meant to be the same species? Because they actually did look very similar. Yeah, different size and yeah. stuff like that. But... I must look at that again because... Uh, Maybe they reference that they're from SETI Alpha 5 or something like that. That that episode of Star Trek, I think it was in season one, and there's a scene where they fire a phaser at somebody's head and their skin melts off, and it's cut out of the TV airings of that show every time. But if you watch the uncut version, it's actually oh. really vicious. <laughs> okay, so we have to... So, Jerry, we have a list uh, of our uh, how we rank our movies. It's on our website. Uh, number one, I'll just give you uh, an indication, is Harold and Maud from 1970s. Which has uh, been number one since episode since, two. <laughs> yeah. And down at the butt, so number two then is The Little Mermaid, Hocus Pocus, Oliver, Wonder Woman, Batman Returns. Uh, down the bottom then we have uh, Escape from New York, New Mutants 9 and Halloween 3. So somewhere in between we have to, or maybe maybe number one, maybe. No, somewhere in between. <laughs> We have to find a spot for the Wrath of Khan. <laughs> one, one crazy thing, though, like Escape from New York is down the bottom. Yeah, I, I would have put that higher. I agree there, Jerry. I think that's quite low. That's an awesome movie. I love that movie. Yeah. yeah. Snake Plissken. Think, yeah, I don't think Connor was overly blown away. No. You kind of rewatched that. Yeah, Kurt Russell, John Carpenter, amazing stuff. Rewatch it and listen to episode 29. No, episode four. Episode four. Episode four. Okay, so I am going to say I'm looking around the four teams, okay, okay. Uh, for this movie. So 14 is Brave. Above Brave is Halloween, Muriel's Wedding, A Fish Called Wanda. Mm. No, I mean, it's, 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 it's lower than that, <laughs> I think. No, it's better than all those movies. No, it's <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to say it's better than A Fish Called Wanda. I'm going to go for number 11. No, 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 no. I'm going to go a good bit lower. I would say, if I'm being, I think we're going to have to just meet halfway here, to be honest. I'm thinking around 20. 20 is Fantasia, Les Mis, Sneakers. I, okay, I think. 
did I enjoy it more? So we've gone through all the cinematography, the direction, all that stuff, and we've all said it was brilliant. I think I prefer few the hiccups. I prefer the Overall enjoyment here, I'm going to go and say, did I enjoy it more than A Fish Called Wanda? Well, I, like, it, I think for, I probably I, did. I'm like, it's like, a, we're going to have to compromise then because it's like a good bit below that for me. Like, there's no way for me this is above Scream or Nightmare on Elm Street. To me, they are way more iconic films that I would watch. Well, I would be willing to go down to 13. Give me four. Say 14 and we'll leave it there. Okay. Well, if I go 14, so that pushes Brave down, but Halloween is still ahead of it. So okay, yeah, I think, I, I'll yeah, go I think with I, that. Yeah. Oh, that, look, and William Shatner has got two sort of places there, 13 and 14. What? <laughs> William Shatner, he's got his face in Halloween. <laughs> oh, <and> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that seems like a fitting place. So there you go, Ratha Khan, uh, and our our first film in the Star Trek series at number fourteen. 14. I feel like Jer is not happy with that. Jer has gone very quiet. <laughs> what the fuck? It's okay, guys. <laughs> what the fuck did I, I come onto this shitty podcast for? Number fourteen, my ass. <laughs> um, okay, so look, what's your next choice, Connor? Okay, so my next choice is uh, Star Trek: First Contact from 1996 so this is the second in the series of Jean-Luc Picard movies probably considered one of the best Star Trek movies of all time certainly the best of the Jean-Luc Picard ones yeah it's about sorry go ahead I was gonna say it's number two or three for Star Trek movies for me yeah it's it's so it's the Borg which is probably the, it's the, the Wrath of Khan was the arch nemesis of Kirk. The Borg is like the arch nemesis of Picard. Okay. I was going to go for, so I saw one film at a premiere and it was the one with a Nexus. I can't even. Okay. So that's Star Trek Generations. That's the one before mine. So that's the one I was going to go for. That's 90s, isn't it? That's 94. Paul, you are Star Trek Generations from 1994 <laughs> and I am Star Trek First Contact from 1996 uh so we're going to flip a coin uh paul what do you want to be i'll be tails tails okay so if you want my input first contacts better than generations well we're going to flip a coin we're going to do this by the book so heads is first contact tails is generation so oh it's heads is that the that's the nemesis what is it First contact. Stop saying Nemesis. Sorry. What's Nemesis? Nemesis is another Star Trek movie from 2002. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So, so this is Star the Trek the board first queen, contact. Is it? Yeah. Star Trek first uh, contact. Yeah. I think it's at the Nexus, which is the the weird yeah. ribbony wave thing in Generations. Yeah. If you if you really want that, Paul, you can pick it the next time again. Well, we can't because this is 90s, right? Oh, that's right. So we, yeah, this is the only okay. 90s movie we can pick. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> There you go. Well, look, Jer, uh, thanks so much for joining us. Did you enjoy the, the chat? Yeah, it was great. Thanks, guys. Good. Well, thank you so much for, for coming. I really enjoyed it. And yeah. thank you for educating me in all things Star Trek. And we have to meet up soon, Jer, because I know it's been freaking ages. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I'll go for a beer or something. So, guys, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Silver Screamers. You can catch us uh, on our website, www.silver-screamers.com. You can email us, silverscreamers at gmail.com. Facebook, Silver Screamers Podcast. Instagram, Silver Screamers Crowd. 
Silver Screamers podcast, and you can catch us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and the Apple Podcast app on your Apple devices. Like us, tweet us, comment us, review us, all that stuff. Keep it nice and friendly. And that's about it. That's a wrap. Bye. Bye. Thanks, guys. Here we go. This is Connor. And this is Paul. This is Jared. <laughs> and welcome and to welcome. <laughs> I'm start that again. <laughs>